Let's read a little bit, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's stand together if you're willing and able this, this evening. We'll read just, just verses 7 through 10 again. Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, uh, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, and we'll talk about this tonight, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Let's do a little bit of review uh, from what we talked about this morning. First of all, we learned uh, that we, we don't have to get over a grievous loss. Uh, as a matter of fact, we can't get over it. Uh, folks just don't understand that if they've never walked that road. But, but you just can't get over it. And thankfully, God doesn't require us to get over it. Uh, the concept of, of getting over it is a misleading and, and empty expectation. As I said this morning, we get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. So we don't have to get over it, but we can get through it. And that doesn't mean that we just shut the door behind us and, and do our best to, to pretend the pain away. But it does mean that there will come a time, uh, by God's grace and, and with God's help, that we will come to accept the horrible event that, that brought us so much grief and so much sorrow, and we'll find the strength to move forward in life uh, despite the loss and pain. And then we talked about the sovereignty of God. A true belief in God's sovereignty uh, is to believe that God is never caught by surprise. I'm telling you, the last thing that I, that I thought we would ever hear was about the death of our children. It's not supposed to be that way. They bury us. We don't bury them. And, you know, being a chaplain, I've, I've made many death notifications and I've watched many different reactions. I've watched grown men crumble to the ground. And I remember it like, like it was last night when Sheena said that. And I just, I, I fell to my knees and I buried my head uh, in our recliner. And, and it, was, it was just unbelievable. I, I couldn't breathe. I, I stood up, tried to, tried to breathe, and I couldn't breathe. I remember just pacing around the, the living room trying to catch my breath, trying to make sense of what I just heard, and, and it just wasn't making sense. And so I made her say it again. Um, it was, 
it's just something that, that catches you by surprise. But it didn't catch God by surprise. God is always even in control, even through events that, that seem random and meaningless. So let, let's pick up tonight with a, a fourth truth uh, that uh, will help us get through uh, what we'll, we'll never get over, and it's this. God can use pain for our good and His glory. We're all aware of, of Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But here's the conclusion that, that I have come to tonight. God has a different definition for words than I do. For example, He does work all things for my eternal good and His eternal glory. But his definition of good and my definition of good aren't always the same. You see, my good would never include losing our son in the prime of his life. My good would never be our daughter-in-law left to answer questions like, Mommy, when is, uh, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? How do you answer a question like that? My good would, would be TJ alive and calling us every single week without fail just to see how we were doing. My good would, would be a, a sloppy wet kiss on the top of my bald head and the words love you pops. My good would be TJ getting to watch all three of his daughters grow up to, to be godly young ladies who marry godly men and, and, and spend their lives serving the God that their mom and dad served. So as you step back and, and look at that, you wonder what possible good could come from a tragedy like ours. Or, or like those suffered by others. Well, for one, pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. Now, I'll be the first to admit tonight that I do not understand why God does what He does. But I know, I know that He loves me and wants me to draw near to Him. And sometimes he will allow me to feel the pain of, of this world's unhealed hurts if it brings us closer. A man by the name of John Kitchen wrote this, Our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Think about that for a minute. Our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. 
One of the ways that pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord is, is in the purification of our faith. Writing to suffering Christians, the Apostle Peter encouraged them with these words. He said, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Before suffering, our untested faith may glibly say, God is always good. But as grief envelops us, and we lean into the truths of who God is because of what the Bible says, even though we don't see it, our convictions of God's goodness and faithfulness are stripped of all sentimentality. And our faith is purified and strengthened. The second positive outcome of pain is that it helps conform us into the image of Christ. The testing of our faith uh, can bring a spiritual maturity that nothing else can bring. Think back to Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that, are, uh, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to, and what are those next two words? His purpose. And what is His purpose? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that that's explained for us in the very next verse. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose in your life and my life is to make us more like Jesus. Amen. God is, is going to chisel away all that distracts from Christ in us so that his glory may be seen through us. Years ago, uh, we, uh, we still, this man is still in our church. As a matter of fact, I shared with this, this with him last Sunday uh, night. Uh, his name's Glenn Scruggs. And I remember one day Brother Glenn came to the church office and he had a gift for Pastor Landis. And it was a little, a, a miniature set of cowboy boots. They probably weren't that, that high. And Brother Glenn had whittled those. Now, you'd have to, to, to really appreciate this. You'd have to, to know Brother Glenn. He was just an old cowboy. I mean, you never saw him, unless he was in church, you never saw him without a toothpick in his mouth. And he, he just kind of sauntered along. Brother Glenn, he was just, just really laid back. Brother Landis looked at those boots, and I mean the detail was exquisite. They were hollowed out and had the designs down the side. I mean, they were just, they were incredible. 
And I remember Brother Landis asked Brother Glenn, he said, Brother Glenn, how did you do that? Well, preacher, I just cut away everything that didn't look like a boot. I mean, in his mentality, that it was it, that's what he did. That doesn't look like a boot, and that doesn't look like a boot. So, so what, is, what is all of this about? It's about Jesus, about God cutting away things in us that don't look like Jesus. Yes, the process is painful, but the product is beautiful. Pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. It conforms us into the image of Christ. And then I'd say this tonight, God permits pain in our life so we can help others with pain in their life. You know, that's a biblical principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at this, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, one of the, and this may sound strange to some, but one of, one of the, one of the blessings, I guess, or one of the, the most beneficial things for, for Katie and I in, in traveling and, and doing Sundays like this is meeting people and hearing their stories and of how God has has brought them along and how God has helped them and opportunities that they've had to help others. That is a fulfillment of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's taking the comfort that he's given us and using that to help others who are now going through what we have gone through or what we are going through. Does that make sense? One of the things that, that can relieve the rawness of pain and the overwhelming confusion is for someone else who has suffered a loss but is further along the path of acceptance to come and share their experience of God's comfort with us. And as much as God has allowed, Katie and I have, have tried to use our experience to help others just as they, others have used their experiences to help us. When we talk to someone who's, who's farther along the path of recovery, it encourages us to keep moving forward with, with the hope that things won't always seem as they seem right now. Likewise, when we share from our experience with, with those whose lives have been recently shattered, it not only encourages them, but it helps us gain perspective by realizing just how far we've come. So even when our circumstances aren't good, God's purposes are. This next truth, along with 
the truth that you don't have to get over it has probably been the most comforting to those that we've had the chance to visit with throughout the course of this. And it's simply this. It's okay to ask why. Some have been led to believe, mistakenly in my opinion, that it's wrong to ask why. But I submit to you tonight that God is not put off by our questions. I mean, just a cursory reading of the book of Psalms will reveal that, that, that David questioned God numerous times. He questioned God when God seemed to be distant. He questioned God when, when he felt forsaken by him. He questioned God when he felt like God had forgotten about him. There was a one time in David's life where he thought maybe God had fallen asleep. And so he questioned God about that. He questioned God when he felt like God was hiding from him and when he felt like injustice was, was going to be permitted to go on unpunished. Besides David, Moses questioned God in Numbers 11, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1 and Job in chapter 7. The disciples questioned the Lord in John chapter 9. And then there's that classic example of questioning God found in Matthew chapter 27. Our brother mentioned it in the song when Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, help me church. Why has thou forsaken me? The son of God asking his own beloved father, why? Would you agree with me tonight that if it was wrong to question God, that his son would not have done it on the cross? To quote John Kitchen again, why is the first and greatest word of the suffering soul? Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and pour our heart out to Him. But that being said, I'll say this tonight, I believe there is a, a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, the more it, it feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it usually leads to bitterness. Of course, the subject of bitterness is a whole sermon in itself. Let me just offer you a couple of quick thoughts here on, on how to keep from getting bitter. Number one, accept what cannot be changed. There's not a person alive that would not go back and reverse the events of February the 6th, 2018, if they could. But they can't. Our son's gone. He's not coming back. Like David said, we can go to him. But he's not coming back. 
He's gone. He's not going to call me. Even on occasion, I still call his phone and, and I can still listen to his voicemail. It does my heart good. He's not coming back. And that being the case, the best thing to do, and it's what Katie and I have, have made the choice to do, is to focus on what's left more than we focus on what's lost. That's not to say that we're trying to forget TJ. Not at all. Ever. We're not moving on from him. We're moving forward with him. You see, getting through is about reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Sometimes we can let our painful memory so dominate our minds and viewpoints that all of our good memories all but, but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our minds. So no, this is not about forgetting our son it's about choosing not to let his death consume us. Because we still have our daughter-in-law and our three granddaughters and our son and his wife and their son and our daughter and our son-in-law and their three sons who need us. You know, sometimes you wonder if, you're, if your kids still need you, but then there's your grandkids. Man, they need Papa and Grammy. Especially when they, when they need some big money fast. We got a phone call coming up here. It was our pastor, Tyler. It was his son. He's 11 years old, 12 years old now. And he called and he said, Grammy, I need some money fast. And he said, it's a lot of money. He said, you have a job for me. Well, right there, we started laughing. <laughs> that boy's wanting a job. <clears throat> he needs a work ethic bad. <laughs> Come to find out, him and his cousin, were tr they're trying to design their, 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 some basketball shoes. <laughs> and they're about 180 bucks a piece. And so I, get, I, I, I speak up, you got a mom and dad. <laughs> He's the pastor now. He makes the big bucks. He can take care of that. But it's always good when, when, when somebody needs you. Can I get a witness right there, grandparents? Somebody needs you. But the truth is, their mom and dad still need you too, right? And I tell you, the last thing the last thing that Katie and I ever want to see happen is for TJ's brother and sister to become bitter because their brother's death has robbed them of their mom and dad and has robbed their kids of Grammy and Papa. We don't ever want that to happen. We're not forgetting TJ.
We'll never forget that boy. He was such a large part of our life. He's the one. The other two lived in town. Never talked to him except it was at church. Seemed like. TJ lived four and a half hours away. And that boy, I mean, I'm serious. He would call and say, hey, mom, how you doing? I'm doing good. Cool. All right. He'd hang up. He just wanted to talk to his mom and dad. We had such a good relationship. The final truth I'd like to share with you tonight is simply this. And I don't say simply because it's not important, because it is. May have saved the best for last. God's grace is sufficient. The pain of losing our son was greater than anything I could even begin to describe. But the help we have received from the Lord is greater than anything I could begin to explain. You know, this, this grief thing, if you're on the outside looking in, it's nearly impossible to understand. If you're on the inside looking out, it's nearly impossible to explain. God said to Paul, look at it, it's in red letters in my Bible. My grace is sufficient for thee. Circle that word sufficient. I love that word. You know what it means? It means enough. Always and forever enough. It would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all the water than to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier to, to suck the, uh, the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw than to, to exhaust God's supply of grace. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned this promise, he did so out of personal experience. His greatest test came the day that he buried his wife, Mary. He loved her dearly and had prayed many times that his death would precede hers, but his prayer was not answered. On the day that Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day he visited church members and later he officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. He would later pen these words. The Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord, the all-sufficient God, speaks, and it is done. Let those who know him and trust him be of good courage. 
He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what he can do, he has promised that he will do. Thank God for his all-sufficient, amazing grace. In 1932, A.M. Overton pastored a church in Mississippi with his wife and their three small children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child, but when it came time for delivery, there were complications and both she and the baby died. During the funeral, the preacher officiating the service noticed that Mr. Overton was sitting on the front row and all during the, the service, he was writing something on a piece of paper. And so after the service, the minister asked him about it and he handed him the paper that he was writing on. And on that paper were these words. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad to know. He maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. I'm thankful that God is perfect and that his ways are perfect. My response our son's death has not always been perfect. I'll admit that. It's not always been biblical. It's not always been as I preached it tonight. That's why I always say, I'll never say we've gotten through it. I'm getting through it. I'm learning. And I'm a long ways down the road from where I was four years ago. I was sharing with your pastor a little bit this morning as I reflect back on my transitioning out of the, uh, out of the, the pastorate. I, I did so at, at 60 years old. 
You know, I look back on it now, and I think if I'm honest, I would have to say that TJ's death took a bigger toll on me than I, than I thought it did. I thought I was, you know, the church was, the church was great. Our, our leadership was great. They said, preacher, you take as much time as you need. You go where you need to go. You do what you need to do. Don't you worry about a thing. And they meant it. And so we, you know, we, we took some time off. And, and then I, I just did the only thing I've ever known to do for the last 40 years of my life. I just got back at it. I mean, I just jumped back into ministry. That was my safe place. That, that's, that's where I lived. And I look back on it now and I would go to the office and just sit there. Didn't do anything. Didn't address anything that needed to be addressed. If I'm honest with you tonight, I'd, I'd be honest and say I didn't preach any new sermons. I just dug up some old ones. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I was getting back into ministry, doing what God wanted me to do. Say, well, preacher, that seems, you seem to be full of vigor and vitality. Why, why aren't you still in the ministry? And I, I think that's why, to a large part, it just, it just took more out of me than, than probably what I was willing to admit. I don't, I don't regret stepping aside. I, I really don't. I, my life is full. Um, my calendar's full. God has allowed us to meet some incredible, incredible pastors and pastor's wives out there. And I'm telling you, folks, there are men and young men out there all over this country that are preaching the word and getting it done. And we're so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for where our church is and, and where it's going and what God is doing in the ministry there. It's unbelievable. But I just, I'm just telling you, loss can just take it out of you. But again, I'm so thankful for God's grace. I was signing some books out there this morning and I told one of the folks, I said, really, she's the one that ought to be signing these books. She's the hero in all of this. The grace that God gave my wife to walk through this has been amazing. And I'm thankful that God put her in my life. I'm not sure I would have handled it as well without her in my life. I'm so thankful for a good woman who walks with God every day. And she helped our family get through this. This is always the hard part for me. I really don't know what to do with an invitation at this point. I know through your testimony that, that many of you have been through this. You've been, you're further down the road in this than I am. And I thank you for sharing your stories with us this morning.
I tell you, it's amazing the, the pain and grief that exists in our world today. I'm so looking forward, Brother Jesse, to heaven. Sorrow, sickness, and suffering will have no place in heaven. But as long as we live in this fallen world, we're going to have to deal with all three. And I hate it. I hate it for me. I hate it for you. I hate it for my grandkids. Oh, my. But one day, one day we're going to stand face to face with Jesus and with those that are already there. And what a day that will be.